Well, I'm here with Josh Watt and with Seth Trout, and together the three of us make up the preaching team. And today we want to talk together and teach together uh, through this verse from 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, we'll put this on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, as we read, remember we're reading God's word. Peter, the friend of Jesus, says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This is the word of the Lord. So we're talking today about unity. And in the video that we saw earlier from Tyler, he talked about how we're a body, how uh, if one member suffers, we all suffer. If one member rejoices, we all rejoice. And um, thinking about the body made me think of my little guy, Hank. He's three. And uh, you haven't had this yet with Jay, but I'm sure you've had this with your boys. There's these moments where uh, your kid is really hurt and you respond to them and say, oh my goodness, I have to help you. I need to assist you. And then there's moments where your kid's acting hurt and, uh, you know, maybe it's a little kind of fingernail that's, you know, out of whack or something. And uh, this happened recently and and Hank was complaining about it. And I said, all right, then I'm going to have to get the scissors. (laughs) And we're going to have to cut off your finger. <laughs> no, 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 don't, don't cut off my finger. No, 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 I'm going to have to cut yeah. off your finger. And, um, it's our same tactic at our house. You do that, <laughs> right? I'm guessing you do that. If you don't do that and you think, man, Josh and Luke are the worst, <laughs> you're probably not wrong, but I bet you've done that. I have never done that. <laughs> you will. <laughs> you yeah. will. So th- there is a tendency <clears throat> in, in all relationships to go, ah, that little thing on your finger, that's not that bad and to be dismissive of a certain injury. And we want to kind of do the opposite of that. Uh, Because the reality is, even Mm. if I were to cut it off, the pain doesn't go away. (laughs) I uh, had a roommate in college who uh, named Pat, and he was a double amputee at the knees. Um, He'd been in a bad car accident when he was a kid. He was actually one of the world's best wheelchair basketball players. And he would talk to me about how even though he didn't have legs below the knees, he could feel himself wiggle his toes. Wow. And years later, he could still feel what it felt like to wiggle his toes. Sometimes he would even still have phantom pains. People who have had amputations and lost Hmm. a limb will talk about the phantom pain of that. And the reality is when there's pain in the body of Christ, when there's pain in the church, um, we, Hmm. we can't dismiss it. And when we do dismiss it, it doesn't get rid of it. And so today what we're doing is we're talking about what it is to be a unified body, to be one body in Christ, to be a unified church. And so we're going to kind of team teach this as we look at 1 Peter chapter 3, hmm. verse 8. So Seth, why don't you begin? Why don't you kind of uh, help us understand uh, these words and phrases in this passage? Yeah, it's great. First, got to stop wiggling my toes. <laughs> so you start talking about it, I start wiggling my toes. Yeah, so 1 uh, Peter 3, 8, it's interesting, this text. It's very, it's very straightforward. It's very clear. There's just an exhortation Peter gives to the church, says, be like this, and he's essentially referring, don't be like that. And it's, it comes at the end. He's, he's addressing all these different institutions. Be subject to every institution for the Lord's sake. Honor the emperor. And he's addressing servants and husbands and wives. And then here he says, but all of you. So this is like him saying, no matter who you are, this applies to you. This is not for someone else. This is for you. I think a lot of times, even when I hear preaching, I think this is for someone else. You know, oh, I wish so-and-so was here hearing sure. that thing Luke said because that but this is for me this is for us this is yeah. this is for you this is for me that's not for somebody else he says unity of mind sympathy brotherly love tender heart and a humble mind and there's this total exhortation to how we're called to be one church what does it look like to have 
the same mind, to have the unity of mind, to have a humble mind. And really, this is, it's a list of five things, but there's actually three, and they kind of repeat each other. So, so you can see that um, unity of mind goes with humble mind. He's saying, here's how your mind, how your thinking is supposed to be. Mm. And this is what's crazy is, so even on, in this season of quarantine, or leading up to it, leading out of it, even for Taylor and I being first-time parents, the amount of times that we don't have a unity of mind has gone up. And it's all one of those things where, okay, so Paul, Peter says, have a unity of mind. Okay, well, I don't. Right. So now what? <laughs> you know, does it just mean one of us turns down the dial and we say one of us just turns to mute? And there's even that temptation in me that when we don't have a unity of mind that I want to just turn down the dial on Taylor's mind, yeah. you know? Impose your mind yeah, on Yeah, impose mind. my mind. I want to I want to lord it over. I want to say like, well, you know, and somehow make it be so that my my mind matters more than her mind. Hmm. And so even in this part, it's going that's not an option. Hmm. You know. And so that's that's just a like a sinful desire, like a a a bulldozer type thing of okay, so we, when we don't have unity of mind, what do we do? How do we pursue that? When we're thinking differently, when we're coming at things from different perspectives. Um, and so this, this lack of unity of mind, this exhortation to have a humble mind, I think uh, mm-hmm. the, the first thing I think this really teaches me is that a humble mind means I need to be in touch with the limits of my knowledge. Mm. One of the things that's crazy in this season, whether it's you know where the virus came from or at what age your kids should sit in what type of chair versus you know what other type of chair is just there's a limit to knowledge and we all because a lot of times we feel like we have to be certain in order to act we all pretend to be more certain than we actually are and yeah. presume to have a level of certainty we don't have and so i need to regularly remind myself that i have really strong first flinches and the first reactions to things mm. and i'm convinced right away until 30 seconds later when i'm not convinced right. anymore and so i need to pursue a humble mind and remind myself of like this, this curiosity. And so I actually think that this unity of mind and the humble mind, um, this pursuit of these, the humi- humble mind and the um, unity of mind, uh, and the middle three things are actually, I think Peter's getting at how we do that, how that mm. plays out. And it says, and so the next two are sympathy and tender heart, and those two go together. Most basically, the word sympathy um, um, has to do with being similarly affected by a situation. So mm. when this happens, you feel like that me pursuing sympathy is trying to feel like that about that yeah. as well. So I need to get in between your ears. I need to get behind your eyes. I need, to, I need to put myself in a position where I feel like you feel. And that requires curiosity and discipline and getting there. And having a tender heart both, most basically means a woundable gut, huh. hmm. like able to be wounded in That's my gut. That's literally in the Greek what it is yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, is, it's, is this, it's, this, it's, a, it's, a, it's a penetrable um, gut situation. And so like this, having this tender heart, it means that I'm willing and able and open to experiencing pain in a way that connects me with your pain. Vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. It's compassion. It's suffering with, there's a, there's a, I'm no longer being defensive and trying to avoid pain, but I'm actually willfully trying to feel your pain (laughs) and that I'm capable of feeling your pain. And so sympathy and tender heart are pretty similar, you know, compassion, suffering with being similarly affected. And this what's crazy is a lot of times we feel like our emotions are absolutely passive, but here Peter's commanding, a certain type of emotional mm. disposition. And so I do think that we can't just will our emotions to change. I'm happy, snap my fingers, I'm yeah. sad. But I do think there is a pursuit that, so when Taylor and I don't have a unity of mind, 
and she's feeling emotionally affected by something or I'm feeling like it begins by me deciding rather than choosing efficiency, I have to choose to try and get behind Taylor's eyes and then between her ears Hmm. and really get to a point where I'm affected like she's affected. That's a responsibility I feel as a Christian, not just as a husband, that even in this regard, Hmm. my wife is my sister in Christ before she's my wife. And this is a brother-sister thing that for uh, between our family as a church, it's not just yeah. me and Taylor, but that's just my most intimate example, right. that if it's, it's true for my brothers and sisters in the church that I need to try to be affected like they're affected by their experiences and by what they're seeing. And then the centerpiece here, so you go mind, mind, feeling, feeling, and the centerpiece is brotherly love, or most basically it's Philadelphia, yeah. you know, brotherly affection, but it's being mutually affected mm-hmm. and having mutual affection for one another, mm-hmm. that this is a call to like people. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we yeah. think that, you know, love isn't a feeling, love is a choice, which sometimes is true, but in other contexts it's not. Here the context is, this is the pursuit of the feeling of I like you. Huh. And I think that if I don't like someone initially, a lot of the times, the more curious I am, the more time I spend with them, the more I see the way God designed them as a particular individual, the more I see their personality differences, yeah. I end up growing an affection for them, mm. even though initially I'm going like, that person's not like me, they like right. things different than me, their perspective is different than me. But when I actually insist on curiosity, I grow an affection mm. for them. And when I really see them as someone who bears a divine image and someone who, you know, this is, we are so quick to dismiss people who disagree with us as just idiots what if they're just different, you know? And, and God creates this diff- mm. difference on purpose. And so this pursuit of affection, I have the responsibility to think my way and move my way into developing affection for people and that apart from Christ, I might not have a natural affection for. And so there's this, this, uh, this the unity of mind, sympathy, brother, love, tender heart, humble mind. This is um, Peter's exhortation to us. And I do think it requires setting aside your perspective and getting inside someone else's head yeah. as, as much as possible. And it, and it does feel inefficient. And frankly, it it's slows me down. It's frustrating. It's more work. It'd be much easier for me just to lord it over and move on, to dismiss and move on. Right. And especially in times like this, when you feel like tired or whatever, that's right. the easiest thing to do. Very easy. It's striking to me how that is a description of God himself. Yeah. Right? Within Father, Son, and Spirit, there is unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So this is not something that we could say, well, this is for people of a certain personality or a certain mm-hmm. disposition, or this is for a certain kind of level of Christian. This is yeah. what Christians are called to. It's not this for is the bleeding heart people of our congregation. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. Maybe certain aspects of this come easier. Yeah. But the unity we're talking about really is is a command here uh, as we imitate God. So there are some challenges in this. There are some mm-hmm. things that make this difficult. I know every, time, every time we preach, we're always thinking, okay, what is the truth? Now, why are yeah. we resistant to these truths? Right. And uh, there's just a number of reasons. And the first one, the first challenge is just differences. There are just differences. Mm. We've already alluded to these a bit, is that uh, there's differences between people. It's hard to have the same way of thinking or a similar heart or a similar uh, mindset because we're just different. So let's talk about some ways that we're different. First, we're different in personalities, right? You already mentioned there are certain people that are more bleeding heart, just naturally compassionate. There are people who are a little more rough around the edges. Uh, We just have different personalities. And you can't help but see things through the lens of your personality. If you're a go-getter, you assume everyone should be a go-getter. If you're a little bit more cautious and I got to think it through, 
you assume everybody yeah. should should mm-hmm. be like that. And so we have different personalities. And I, I think some of the ways that we react to different controversial or difficult things, whether it's racial issues right. or whether it's issues related to uh, politics or related to coronavirus response or whatever it might be, parenting styles, a lot of the differences really just come down to personality. Right. And I think we're really prone to kind of attach moral reasons yeah. to things when That's really you're just being who you are and who God made yeah. you to be. Your personality becomes the judgment by which you assess mm-hmm. everyone else, and that's where we get into trouble. Not yeah. so much being different, but using your personality as the supreme measuring mark for yeah. how everyone should respond. Yeah, to I, I do this. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a natural leader, right? Right, and so I tend to be assertive and right. be out there, and I tend to want to drive by, judge whoever right. isn't as assertive as I am. And that's just a personality thing. So that's the first area of difference is, is personalities. The second is experiences. We've all had different experiences, and we've all had different experiences through um, this last couple months, right? So some of you are working in the healthcare field, and your experience is really different than somebody who is doing the same job that they always do, but now from home. Um, if you're a parent, your, your experience <laughs> through this has been really different. If you're a parent with older kids, your experience is different. Uh, maybe you're a person who's, who's sick, and if you're sick mm-hmm. and you've been chronically sick, then you have a different kind of experience that you see things through. Um, I've talked to a number of people who are, who are older in our church, who are um, you know, in retirement age and, and beyond, who have said, you know what, I'm just not that worried about this because I've made peace with where I'm going mm-hmm. and with who I am in, in Christ, and so I don't want to be reckless, but you know yeah. what? If I die, I die. I'm ready to meet the Lord. Hmm. I know other people who, based on their experiences, aren't in that same place. And so our experiences can't help but shape how we see things, right? Hmm. This is like, I don't know, even as I'm talking about this, I'm going, is this the most obvious thing <laughs> in the world? But, but it's important to say. So we have different personalities. I think, well, I think but the, both those last two things kind of reveal like a small-scale narcissism hmm. that's true in all of us, Yeah. right? I tend to assume people think and feel like I think and feel and therefore if you don't think and feel like me then meh and I feel like especially for personalities and experiences we tend to just project that onto people sure well, I like totally. how Tyler's video talked about sin is revealed that's what's mm. being it's just being revealed how we all naturally think about stuff yeah. and it's we're all being pushed pretty heavily so yeah. a lot's being revealed yeah you, you know yeah and so so we have all these differences they get revealed they show up in these things and that's that's okay like this is not a call to uniformity right um, but unity is hard not because we should get rid of the differences but because we are different and a third area that we're different is in our information right we have all kinds of different information based on those experiences <laughs> based on our sources based on what we read you can't possibly <laughs> keep up with anything and it's funny because you talked about how you know we have to admit the limits of our knowledge, which on one hand, we've never had more access to knowledge mm-hmm. and we've never known less, it feels like, because you yeah. just can't know oh, it all. Man. Um, and, and I think the, one of the curses of trying to be like God is trying to know everything, and you can. Mm-hmm. But we come at things with different information. I've read this article, you've read this article, you've talked to this person, you know this person that works in this area, yeah. and all of that. Your PhD said this, that guy's PhD yeah. said that, that MD says, that MD says. Yeah, yeah and it, 
and so we come at things with different information. The, the fourth area where, where we have differences is just around our convictions, right? And a lot of times the convictions come out of our personalities, our experiences, mm. our information. There's just things that I think are right mm. and things that you think are fine and things that I think are wrong yeah. and things that, and, and so we have these different kinds of convictions. And so this is really, really important. The call to unity is not a call to uniformity. Even in the triune God, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's diversity and unity. And I think sometimes when we talk about unity, people think it means, hey, loving one another means I can't have views and I can't have opinions. That's not it at all. The reality is our love in Christ should transcend all of that. So so those are some of the challenges or or the differences. Um, What were you going to say? Just to your last point, that in verse 8, having a unity of mind, that actually is the word harmony. You know, mm-hmm. so that it's so it's not everyone's hitting the note. same note, right. but it's that we're hitting notes that are different, but they're in tune, and yeah. so their harmonies don't happen on accident. You right. know, and so there is like a we're playing different notes, but we need to be in tune, yeah. and and uh, so it's not uniformity, but it's it's uh, togetherness even despite the separateness. That's yeah. So right. so this loving unity is hard because of differences. Uh, Josh, there's some other reasons it's hard. Yeah, the uh, next one I think is, and this may be obvious, it may be kind of new, it's fatigue. So I was talking with a counselor the other day talking about the church plan and stuff, and he just said, just so you know, like people are going to be pretty exhausted for months. And I was like, oh, tell me more. And he just says, every rhythm we've naturally grown to love and get accustomed to has been changed, and then we're going to enter some sort of new normal where all those rhythms we're going to have to figure out. I just think of greeting, like when you're out in public, should I go for the handshake? Should I like your your mind is on overdrive and you're just working all the time. So, part of the challenge in the season is just we're all tired and we're going to be tired for a while. And even if you're stuck in your house and you're not exerting yourself like you think should cause a fatigue, we're just in this mental fog of fatigue. I know we've talked about this. Like we're preaching to cameras, which is different and it's fatiguing in its own way. And uh, my dad is a construction worker. Is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> You're sitting there talking to a camera. It's just our mind is working sure. differently, so we're just exhausted. And I just think of uh, at my house having kids. Like a lot of the sol- solutions in our house are naps and rest and full night sleep. And we're just in a season as a country and as a church where we're just going to be tired and we're going to have to have grace for ourselves, I think, a lot, and grace for each other. And you can't say, Seth, uh, Seth's cranky, he just needs a nap. But just knowing that, like, we shouldn't be making any huge decisions in this season of fogginess and fatigue. Well, and everything Seth talked about requires effort. Oh yeah. yeah, listening. Oh, which is entering exhausting. your shoes, right? It, and it takes emotional oh, effort, yeah. effort and energy, which is sometimes the hardest. Yeah. And so yeah, you you go. Oh, I'm called to do this thing that takes all this energy, <laughs> and I feel like I don't have anything left. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this, I think that's the that's the danger there is going. I'm yeah. tired, therefore I won't obey Jesus. Right. Mm. You know, and I think that's that's the hard piece of that. It's like the spirit needs to empower us because right. it is going like, man, when you're tired, I don't necessarily want to go like, right. oh, tell me more about that. I want right. to say like. I'm going to bed, you know, but well, I picture that's, the, the garden with Jesus. He says, pray for me. They keep falling asleep and he comes back. And he's like, what's going on? And he tells them that your, your flesh is weak. Your spirit mm-hmm. is willing, but your flesh is weak. Here's the solution. Pray. So I think this is a season of prayerfulness in, in the middle of our weakness. Part of that weakness will be fatigue. So that's the first mm-hmm. one. The next one is uh, spiritual warfare. Another challenge, which is like the overarching behind the scenes, always at play challenge to everything we're always doing. Uh, And I want to read a passage actually out of Ephesians here. Ephesians 6, verse 11 through 12. Love it on the screen there. It just says this. Put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So that's just, that's the end of Ephesians. We went through Ephesians, which is great. What's interesting about Ephesians is the first couple chapters start with like this grand picture of God reconciling and bringing back together that which was broken or divided or cracked. And at the end, he's like, just so you know, remember, you're battling many unseen forces, powers bigger than you. You, you three men have no strength to conquer what's going on. So just know there's spiritual battle going on. And I want to just kind of help us. I wrote down three ways I think I see spiritual overfor come up, kind of small level and bigger level. But I think the devil points out cracks that aren't really there. So I see this in my marriage. When I feel kind of an attack spiritually, a lot of times in my marriage, it's God's like, cre- or Satan's creating a division that's not really there between Aubrey and I. There's other times where he blinds our eyes to cracks that are there. And I think the racism stuff we're talking about right now is a lot of uh, Satan blinding eyes to the the depth of pain and brokenness and divide that there is there and his that's the way he's blinding certain eyes and i'm culpable in that as well and then he he does this he he and this is the the covid response he allows two people or two groups of people to look at the same crack but never really see it from the same perspective or see the other person's perspective so i think that's a real danger we have challenge in this season is we're looking at the same exact problem and Satan's going to c- cause us to always miss, basically not be able to do First Peter. I mean, that's what he's, he's a schemer, he's a deceiver, he's always wanting us to miss and never to come to some sort of unity. So we're going to look at this and never see the other person, basically never do what you just read out of First Peter. So I think mm-hmm. those are some challenges, fatigue and spiritual warfare. Well, and it's interesting when you talk about the spiritual warfare, because I think there are some people who go, yeah, you know what, unity, <laughs> that feels like a nice to have. Right. You know, if we get there, fine. If we don't get there, fine. I can add on. And I think when we have that attitude, Satan goes, perfect. Awesome. Because my goal, he's saying, is to destroy the image of God, to destroy the image and the unity of the church, uh, to make the gospel look unimportant. Right? It says, even here later in 1 Peter, he's like a roaring lion who's Mm -hmm. looking for something and someone to devour. And man, what, what better way to devour people? than people who don't know he's coming for them right. and who are too busy fighting each other right. to see him coming. So actually we have, <laughs> we have a video that I think really illustrates this. Yeah. Um, so take, take a look at this. What did you think when you were watching that video? <laughs> did you see that speck out in the distance and here it comes, here it comes, and you're right. going, what is that, what is that, what is that? And you see it coming and here it comes. And, and what's striking in that video is there's the gazelles in the front of the screen Right. And they see the lion coming, right. and they go, "Oh, I'm I'm out of here." And I think that's even a little bit of how the world, hmm. the watching world, is. They look at a church fighting itself, hmm. and going, "You know what? I don't want anything to do with this. I'm I'm out." And so there's just nothing that the devil would like more than hmm. to destroy our yeah. unity, because when we fight each other, we're not thinking about him, right. and and we're gone. Well, even just some of the irony of that. One of my pet peeves right now is when people use the word nature exclusively positively. You know, like, hmm. "Oh, that's natural." Like well, that lion <laughs> devastating that gazelle was natural, right. you know. So, but for us as I a love church, that, that's one of your pet peeves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's all natural. I'm like, you know, it's all natural. You know, dying prematurely. That's all natural. Like, there's just yeah. things that happen in nature yeah. are not necessarily. But when we think about what is natural for humans to do, hmm. 
it is that we fight each other fight. and get eaten by the devil. Like we get eaten by the lion. But it is it is a fruit of the spirit. It is supernatural. Yep. It is better than our human nature yep. to actually pursue the unity on the far side of complexity and to lean into the tension mm. and take perspective. And it just it's unnatural. Yeah. For it's contrary to the human disposition. And I think that 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 video is natural. But yeah, right. we have the opportunity by the spirit to be supernatural in the way that we treat one another and pursue a true harmonious unity. On the way to defeat of the lion is prayer is what that passage is saying which is yep. what none of us flinch towards yep. in this season so just prayerful humility in this season is going to be huge yep. so we're called to a loving unity there's some challenges the differences the the spiritual warfare the fatigue right those are things that make this hard but let's bring this home let's try to apply this so so what are some things that are going to keep us from having this kind of loving unity mm-hmm. um, we're never going to have this kind of loving unity if what What's the first thing? First one is if we feel indifferent, which is basically not applying First Peter, not letting the Spirit apply First Peter. If we feel indifferent, I want to read a passage here, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, and it's mm-hmm. the Apostle Paul talking about the beauty of the church as a whole body, a diverse body, not a, not a body with uniformity, but with unity in the middle of the diversity. He says this, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And I think Paul's point is uh, pain does not stay local. It should affect everything. Mm. I don't know what the most pain you guys have ever been in. I know for sure what mine is. It's kidney stones. Mm. And I talk to people with kidney stones and they agree that it's the worst thing you can ever get. And I just rem- I was rolling around in the hospital floor crying. My dad's there. My mom's there. My oldest son is there crying because he's seeing me just in this pain. And Paul is saying, that's the picture of the church, is when somebody's writhing in pain, our response is not some sort of scientific, distant, let me gather the facts first, and let me Google, see how much he should be in pain, but it's to be in pain together. So in this COVID season, it's thinking of people who are actually affected in painful ways. So I think of one of our members as a manager at a restaurant, I remember calling him early on in this, and he was just devastated. And he's the most optimistic, joyful guy, and he's just, man, my people are so affected and just so sitting in that pain with him and his people. I think of just the racism stuff going on and sitting in the pain. Me as a white guy, a couple of white guys obviously do not experience the pain of racism and justice the way a lot of our friends, our brothers and sisters do. Uh, but Paul is telling us we must try to suffer. I loved how you started this. Just enter into the pain together. And I don't know the best way to do it, but the answer is not to just say, it's too hard, I'm out. So uh, one thing, my oldest son's birthday was the other day, and I went on a prayer walk before everyone was up, and I was just praying through all the guys I know who have black sons and raising black sons, and I tried to, I just sat, I didn't sit, I was walking, but just tried to feel what they feel in raising a son and having to deal with stuff that's not even on my radar. And it just made me cry, text a buddy, and just praying for him, and that's not a perfect response, but it's, it's trying to apply this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. I think we need to suffer together. And it's, what it takes is you setting aside time to feel what it's like to walk in the shoes of another person without having an asterisk or justification or science or trying to take off all your biases and just sit as a human in the shoes of another human being who's experiencing pain that you may or may not be able to uh, 
feel yourself personally because of your own experiences. But that's what we're called to do as church. So if, if we want unity, then avoid that. If we want unity, we're going to have to step into pain that isn't our own yeah. and walk through it. Yeah, so yeah. to have loving unity, we can't feel indifferent. Mm -mm. We also can't feel superior. Mm. And uh, this is something that I think is, uh, is always a concern for us is because of we, we come at these things oh. and we decide, okay, this is what's right yeah. and this is what's wrong and the people who agree with me right. are great and the people who disagree <laughs> with me are the worst. And, um, and you start to feel superior, whether that's a kind of arrogance or a judgmentalism. And it's really interesting because when you look at the scriptures, what you realize is that actually that's not a new issue, right? That isn't just the product no. of our 21st century media environment no. and social media. Uh, this is something that <laughs> happens over and over uh, in the scriptures in Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians. Um, there, there was an issue specifically around the issue of meat. Hmm. Um, and we don't have time to get into all right. of it. You preached a great sermon on Romans 14 a long time <laughs> ago. ago. But the idea was this, is that there was, there was meat that would get sacrificed in the, in the you know, pagan temples and then left over and sold in the markets. Mm. Right. And the Christians were divided. Well, can you eat that meat? Some people would just say, well, it's just meat. Yeah, go ahead and eat it. It's no big deal. There's no spiritual Those are powers false gods anyways. Yeah, yeah, it's no big deal. Power. And other people will go, wait, 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 wait. Do you know that this was part of this yeah. ceremony and you shouldn't eat this? And so the Apostle Paul addresses this and he addresses it in, in, first, or, yeah. I'm sorry, in, in Romans 14 in particular. And uh, let's just kind of talk through this. Here, here's a helpful chart that kind of helps you understand it. Is he describes the people who are fine eating meat as those having a strong conscience. Hmm. And uh, strong conscious doesn't mean they were physically strong. It doesn't mean they were smarter. It just meant they felt like, hey, this is fine. This is no big deal. It's okay. They thought, I can eat meat. And the way they thought about it was, I have the freedom to eat meat. And those who don't are unreasonable. And they're theologically in error. They're wrong. They're unreasonable. This is just meat. It's no big deal. And so they had a kind of arrogance that yeah. diminished the gospel. On the other side of the equation, you had people who Paul describes as having a weak conscience. Again, doesn't mean they were worse, doesn't mean they were dumb. It just means they thought, ah, I, don't, I don't think this is okay. They said it's sinful and wrong to eat meat. Christians who do so are being unfaithful to God. So they diminish the gospel with judgmentalism. So that, that's, that's the way it goes, is on either side of this thing, hmm. you can be arrogant or you can be judgmental. And Paul yeah. says in Romans 14, listen, I want you to be marked by love. Hmm. I'm not calling you not to have opinions, and I'm not calling you not to have convictions. In fact, he says in, first, in, in I keep saying 1 Corinthians, in Romans 14, he says, you should be fully convinced in your own mind. But here's what he says. He says, I want you to have love. And for love, a strong conscience person who thinks, yeah, this is fine, would say, well, yeah, I have freedom to eat meat, but I'm not going to flaunt it. For the glory of God, I'll be warm toward Christians who disagree. So they would still have the conviction, but say, I'm going to be warm toward people yeah. who have a different view. That's love. That magnifies the gospel. Mm -hmm. Weak conscience people operating in love would say, well, I'll abstain from eating meat, but I'm not going to flaunt that. For the glory of God, I'll be warm toward Christians who disagree. And mm -hmm. so what I love about this vision is it's not saying, hey, 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 meat doesn't matter. Uh, don't have a view on it. Don't think about it. Um, but it says, hold that, that conscience position as a secondary thing that comes under your love. Hmm. Yeah. And what's even crazy about that is we know because God said the strong conscious person had the right position. And yeah. Paul is still saying, hold it warmly and loosely right. 
and love your neighbor. A lot of stuff that we fight and agree about conscience-wise, we don't know what God says. What God says is right or wrong. Yeah. You know, so this is about an issue that we know for a fact which one is right. Interesting. And a lot of other issues we debate around. It's like it is sixty forty, a lot of the time. Huh. Right. Yeah, and so this is this is a relevant thing all the time. Oh, yeah. Christians always have differences of, of conscience. What sort of school should your kids be involved in? Uh, should you or shouldn't you uh, drink alcohol? Should you or shouldn't you engage with certain kinds of music or certain right. kind of movies? Right. So that's always a thing, and it's really a thing right now. Oh yeah. Right. Should should you wear a mask in public? Should you not wear a mask in public? People are not being particularly kind to each other about that. Right. There's a lot of arrogance. There's a lot of judgmentalism about that. Should you go to a restaurant? Should you not go to a restaurant? Should you let your kids go play with other kids? Should you not let your hmm. right? So, so it's like uh, an issue that's always out there. Always. And even now, it's really more pronounced. And again, the the heart of this is not to say don't have an opinion, right. but to say I'm gonna prioritize my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to love each other no matter what. We're going to be mm-hmm. warm and welcoming to one another no matter what. And that, that, that is uh, something we have to do. We can't feel mm. superior. Mm-hmm. What else? If we want to have loving unity, Seth, what else can't we do? Well, this is uh, two of my favorite texts <laughs> in the whole Bible, the book of Proverbs, you know, is, is this feeling that we have that all my opinions matter, and you should know them. Is that not true? I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from, but it's one of those, you know, you get yeah. on Twitter or Facebook the first time, it says, tell us what you're thinking. And it's like, oh, what I think matters. Yeah. And I'm going to spout it off whether I, you know, and, but here's, the, here's these texts and proverbs that I want us to really sit with, and these really speak for themselves. So we're going to put these up on the screen right here. But it's Proverbs 18, 2. Hmm. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Hmm. I don't really feel like I need to unpack that. It <laughs> speaks pretty clearly. And the next one is Proverbs 29, 11. This is my other favorite one that I think really applies to our situation. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, hmm. but a wise man quietly holds it back. Mm. That when you're angry, upset, and these opinions want to just get them out, that there's a sense in which people will call, I just need a vent. No, you don't. Mm. I, th- I think that so much of like the hostility and even just the, it's that if I just kind of took my opinion, mm. n- understood that God understands it and set it aside, like what if I don't have to have an opinion on the origin of the coronavirus? <laughs> you know, I just, I just feel like there's some of these opinions that we feel like really matter is just in the grand scheme of eternity. And even when it comes to like my witness for Christ, they just don't matter. And I just need to, one of the things I need to teach myself is a lot of my peripheral opinions just don't matter that much. Mm. And that I should, uh, I should find pleasure in understanding other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. That's really good. But most of the time I find pleasure in just blasting mine right. wherever people will see it. Well, in first Peter, he's calling for a deeper level of unity, but but a lot of times that can never happen because at just more of a surface level, we're just too busy posting right. and flapping our gums and sharing and venting. Yeah. And if and someone likes, then they understand my opinion. If someone uh, yeah. angry yeah. faces, then they don't, you know, yeah. it, it's just cheap. Yeah. Hmm. Well, here's the last thing. If we want to have a loving unity, we'll never have it if we forget that freedom is for love. Hmm. Freedom is for 
love. There's a lot of talk right now about freedom. And I love freedom. I praise God for our country and the liberty and the freedoms that we have. Um, but th- th- the Christian approach to freedom has got to be different. And so here's what it says in Galatians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul there warns uh, this contentious church in Galatia. He says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I just, I'll just pause there for a second. That's an amazing statement. Hmm. Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. And someone go, wait, 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 but didn't about, Jesus say yeah. the most important command was love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? And Paul's point is, you're never gonna love God if you're not loving your neighbor, no. never. And so that's an amazing statement. Mm. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he warns, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. At which point, what pops in our head is that video again of the lion and the gazelles. Watch out. We have freedom. We have the ability to have opinions and to, and to feel things and to have convictions and to let our personalities and our experiences and our information and our, all that stuff form what we believe. But that freedom is not for the flesh. It's to serve one another. Mm. And I just, I just grieve whenever I see um, in myself or in my kids or in our church a, but I have the right to yeah. spirit. Because I just don't see that aligning with a gospel that calls yeah. us to lay our lives down and love. On the flip side, how much do you rejoice when you see two very different people coming together for the sake of unity and using freedom to look like, is there any bigger delight being a dad than seeing the oldest serve the whiny youngest or watching two people in church come together who are clearly on opposite ends of the spectrum? It's just, it's beautiful. So there's a warning, but there's also, there's beauty in what God is asking us to pursue that is more beautiful than any of us. Yeah, some of Molly and I's favorite pictures are <laughs> pictures we took, the kids didn't even know we were taking them, when we kind of caught them yeah. on the couch, snuggled up together. And I just think, how much must God oh, the man. Father delight in his kids when they love each other hmm. and when they're united? And, uh, and our kids have different personalities mm. and they have different approaches to things. <laughs> and, but when they love each other, oh man, there's nothing better. And that's God's heart for hmm. us, Redemption Gateway. That's what we want. That's what we're trying to pursue. Mm. Uh, We don't care about having to be right. We want to love like Jesus loved. Mm. And we feel like when we do that, then we have an opportunity to share the beautiful news about who he is and what he's done for us. So I think that's a good place to stop. Seth, why don't you pray for us? Mm. Yeah. Father, I confess even just my own desire to have a church that agrees with me on everything Mm. and how that's not your heart. How it just feels like work sometimes to pursue the unity of mind and to pursue humble mind and pursue to, to pursue painful emotions in a way that connect me with other people. Uh, I'm just so grateful that in spite of my and our failures, that Christ did this perfectly and that he's the one who took on flesh and walked among us and um, modeled mm. for us what, what this looks like, that he allowed himself to be affected by the pain of the world, even though he didn't have to, that he entered in. And God, I pray that we'll be a people who enter in who move towards attention, who don't run away from it, who uh, pursue woundable hearts and pursue mutual affection. And God, I pray that you'll give us wisdom to know when to be quiet 
and when to seek understanding. And God, I do pray that we'll experience the pleasure that comes from really understanding someone else mm. rather than just pursue the um, fake pleasure of being understood. I pray that we can be the people and be the ones who, like Christ, leave our place to go to someone else's place and connect with them there. God, help our church be healthy, help me be healthy, and I pray that I'll see opportunities and that we'll see opportunities to pursue this sympathy, tender heart, brotherly love as we um, move towards attention, move towards disagreement, and seek to be a truly unified, harmonious church, not just one that um, hucks platitudes and uh, a surface-level type of unity, but one that is truly unique to Christians and truly unique to brothers and sisters who are united by grace in Christ. In the name of him, we pray. Amen. Amen. And so now I want to send us out uh, with this good word of benediction that Mm. comes really straight from Mm. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. May God give us unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Mm. And everyone said, Amen. 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 We love you guys. Mm. Have a good week.